0: It is 100% the case that, that gerrymandering is a long American tradition,
1: but it is one that needs to end. It's almost time. The midterms are just around the corner. And as we get closer to Election Day, the conversation here in Missouri and around the country isn't just about who should win, but about who can vote and how we vote and who controls the way we vote. Missouri voters are among the few who will have something to say about it this time. How the state does reapportionment, how it draws legislative districts, is on the ballot. The outcome of that vote could have a profound impact on who sits in the state legislature a few years from now. But as you might expect, those who could lose power with such a change aren't too thrilled about it. We'll delve into that and all the other ballot issues in next week's elections. Plus, one last look at the U.S. Senate race. I'm Brian Ellison, and this is Statehouse Blend Missouri. We are definitely in the final ramp-up to Election Day in the KCUR newsroom, but I still managed to lure KCUR's Missouri government and politics reporter Samuel King into a studio to talk about how his first election season in town is going. It's uh, busy, (laughs) so to speak. (laughs) It's busy enough. Maybe you haven't noticed yet, but you could probably spend most of the time between now and the election just reading the sample ballot. More than half of it isn't lists of candidates, it's ballot measures constitutional amendments, citizen initiatives. Sam agreed to be our concierge on a tour through the various questions, starting with an issue that has not one, not two, but three different proposals on the ballot. Pot. I asked Sam how we ended up with three options for achieving the same outcome, legalizing marijuana for medical use and taxing it in different ways.
2: I guess to put it simply, they all didn't come together on one. There's three different approaches to to doing this, and you actually have two of the initiatives, the backers of the initiatives going at each other. The Amendment 2 folks uh, were really trying to get Amendment 3 off uh, the ballot instead of all these people coming together. And here we are.
1: So uh, you mentioned that there's differences in the amount of the tax and
2: in where the proceeds of the tax would go. Can you give us the quick roundup? Well, I'll go in order here. Amendment 2 would be 4% sales tax. And that revenue would go to uh, veterans programs and basically the licensing program for medical marijuana itself. Uh, They are backed by the group New Approach Missouri. Amendment 3, this is the biggest tax. It would be 15%. Uh, which would be the highest medical marijuana tax in the country, more than double the state of New Jersey's tax, which is 7%. This would go to a sort of medical and cancer research center, which would initially be headed by Brad Bradshaw, who is the sort of big backer of Amendment 3, and that's, of course, caused some controversy. And finally, Prop C, this would actually be a statute, so it would be a state law. The sales tax would be 2%. Uh, revenue would be split amongst a lot more programs, including uh, some for veterans, drug treatment, early childhood education, and public safety.
1: Now, what happens if more than
2: one of these measures gets a majority? Now, for the amendments, is fairly straightforward. Whichever amendment gets the most uh, votes would be the one that would become uh, the state law, basically, or become part of the state constitution. Now, when you get to Prop C, that's the, sort of the uh, question that really hasn't been tested. I've, I've heard two different... Different things on whether, if an amendment and Prop C passes, then the amendment overstates the statute or vice versa. That's kind of the open question uh, with that one right now, and that might have to be decided in the courts. I will say the folks behind Prop C and the reason why they went the statute route is because they want to give people flexibility, give lawmakers flexibility to make changes in a way that would be more difficult uh, with a constitutional amendment. But if you're a voter out there, that's something to keep in mind. Proposition C could be one that could be easily changed by a legislature at some point in the future. If you like what you see, it may not stay that way and it'd be a lot Easier to change it than uh, the two other amendments.
1: All right, so uh, good reason to pay attention to your ballot language if you care about the details, and uh, if you if you're feeling pretty chill about it, you can just vote yes on all of
2: it Yeah, and then he'll, let someone else figure it out then in that case.
1: <laughs> so uh, we are talking about more than just marijuana in the state's ballot initiatives, uh, and one of the things we we're talking about and have been for I would say more than a decade. It's finally on the ballot. Is a gas tax increase. What's the story on this gas tax? There was a lot of controversy about. Over whether this would even make it to the ballot.
2: Yeah, there's sort of legislature seemingly not wanting to take this on themselves. Uh, So now we are seeing uh, the Proposition D on the ballot, which would raise the gas tax gradually over the next four years, 10 cents. Moldot estimates once it's fully implemented, it could be up to $412 million a year uh, for road projects across the state.
1: Which... uh, a bipartisan group of legislators has been saying for years is is necessary.
2: Yeah, you you would think that this would have passed in the legislature at some point, but it hasn't been a gas tax increase in Missouri since 1996. And MoDOT is finding it difficult to uh, keep up with maintenance. Basically, they're only doing sort of the critical uh, projects. And a lot of that work now rests with the local uh, counties and, and cities and other municipalities across the state. But they weren't able to do it on a legislative level, uh, this gives them a chance to, okay, if you want this, let the voters do it. We're all going to support it. Even Republicans who you ordinarily might not think would go for a tax increase, including the governor, are putting a lot of sort of political capital behind this. And I guess they can justify it by saying, "It's look, it's the voters who would be signing off on this. And we're even seeing television <laughs> ads in, in support uh, of the gas tax uh, proposal.
1: All right. So another uh, topic much debated over many years but coming to a head with this ballot uh, this time around is minimum wage in the state of Missouri. Proposition B, local cities have tried to raise minimum wage. The legislature said they can't do it. So now we have this.
2: Groups are – taking this effort to uh, voters getting the signatures as uh, you mentioned and we've seen this across the country that some local uh, municipalities or cities have tried to do uh, minimum wages in some states they've been successful in other states we've seen what's like what's happened here in Missouri where the legislature comes in and says no wait not so fast because uh, in business groups Really don't like sort of patchwork uh, minimum wages. You know, you have a fifteen dollars minimum wage in the city of Kansas City, and then you go down the road, and it's still the normal minimum wage, which the, is which is what
1: it's uh, seven eighty five seven eighty five in Missouri right now. So, uh, so where will it get to
2: eventually with this with Prop B twelve dollars an hour in twenty twenty three. Uh, which is a very gradual increase, 85 cents per year. This does phase in, which makes it probably more likely to get uh, more uh, support from um, the average voter out there who, you know, might be uh, convinced by some of the arguments from small businesses and other businesses that this, in the end, if you raise the minimum wage too much, it, it actually to people you're trying to help.
1: A lot of people who were advocating for minimum wage increases in Kansas City and in St. Louis were pushing for something like $15 an hour. Right. Are
2: are they supporting this? They are supporting this because I you know at this point this is the effort they see to at least get the the minimum Wage passed couldn't help noticing
1: that uh, government employers would not be subject to the uh, to this increase.
2: Yeah, that's uh, sort of an interesting <laughs> uh, leaving uh, leaving them out of this. So uh, maybe that's something that the, like the legislature at some point would would have to take care of.
1: And finally, Samuel, constitutional amendment number four, which would amend the Missouri Constitution to allow a member of a licensed organization conducting bingo games to participate in the management of bingo games after being a member of the organization for six months instead of two years. This
2: pressing issue is before Missouri voters haven't heard much movement. There's no TV ads or Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) press conferences on from the bingo lobby or anti bingo (laughs) uh, on this amendment there. Brian.
1: Should we should we look for a proliferation of
2: bingo games uh, in Missouri if this passes? Maybe they'll they'll have the option to at this point. This is something we'll have to see.
1: There's one more ballot initiative KCUR's Samuel King and I didn't talk about. Some people think it's the one that will have the most dramatic impact on the state. Amendment 1, known as Clean Missouri. This proposal does a lot. It sets up a two-year waiting period before elected officials can become lobbyists. It bans gifts from lobbyists to lawmakers worth more than $5. Those things have come up before in Missouri politics. They've just never quite made it over the finish line. There's a fair amount of bipartisan support for those. But what's new and controversial in Amendment 1 is that it would completely revise how the state does redistricting for state legislative districts. I sat down with Sean Sontker nicholson the campaign director for Clean Missouri, to dissect what that would mean. And I started by asking, why the focus on state legislative districts and not congressional districts?
0: Well, so with the way that initiative petitions work in Missouri, you can only uh, modify one article of the Constitution at a time, only have one subject, and... There were a lot of things about Jefferson City that needed to be cleaned up, and so we chose to focus on the General Assembly.
1: Why that instead of uh, how congressional districts? Because a lot of people would say uh, congressional districts are currently drawn in a way that uh, Republicans are going to win the majority of them, (laughs) not in perpetuity perhaps, but for a long time.
0: I I think that is, I think, the congressional districting process is very partisan. It is literally politicians drawing lines for, for politicians. Um, we have talked, as we've built a great big coalition over the last couple of years, about what's next, what other kinds of reforms need to happen. Um, and I think that's something that's definitely on the menu for, for the years ahead.
1: So the process as proposed in this amendment mm-hmm. uh, is affecting only the state legislative districts. And it involves first appointing a, a new position, a quote, nonpartisan state demographer. Right. Y- you would have that position appointed by the state auditor. At least the, the state auditor starts the process.
0: Correct. Yeah. So the auditor has an administrative role of collecting resumes from Missourians who apply and then submitting the names of qualified applicants to
1: the Senate. But the Opponent- state auditor can, can choose which of those applicants she or he deems qualified.
0: Correct. So yeah. So the that would happen in a, in a transparent way. The auditor is required to have a, a facilitated process that uh, generates as many qualified applicants as possible. So when those names are turned over to the Senate, the majority minority leader can review the applicants. If they see that one is the best qualified, they can agree on that person, and and then the process ends then.
1: But if they uh, if they don't like any or they can't agree on mm-hmm. one qualified candidate, they can remove some of the names from the list. Yep. Then how is the, how's the choice finally yeah, made?
0: Yeah, so if they see partisan hacks that have applied, you know, they can pull up to a third of the names off the list, each of them, both the Democratic and Republican leaders. If there's just one person left over, that becomes the demographer. Um, if there's more than one, then we'd have a lottery.
1: Why have you put the selection of the the initial pool of names, the list of names that go to the Senate majority and minority leaders in the hands of the state auditor. Um, A lot of people would note that that's the only office Democrats currently hold uh, on a statewide basis in Missouri. Why the auditor?
0: Sure. So it is true that there is a Democratic auditor right now, but we're having an election between now and um, when the redistricting process would begin a full three, more than three years from now. We also have been able to earn bipartisan support for this measure because the state auditor is often, or it should be the, the least partisan of all of our statewide offices. Their job is to go hold both Republican and Democratic officials accountable. They have a background traditionally in math, in numbers. They understand uh, how some of these technical processes work. So,
1: but it is a partisan
0: office. Sure, it is a partisan office, but it is the least of the partisan of the statewide offices. And there are steps in place to make sure that hyperpartisan partisan applicants are, are pulled out. And then I would also say, regardless of who makes it through, the most important part, actually, is a piece we haven't gotten to yet, which are the new criteria that govern what maps will look like, whether it's a map that's drawn by the demographer or the Citizens Commission.
1: Well, let's talk about those criteria. Sure. I mean, uh, and they are very different than uh, mm-hmm. than current law. In fact, very different than the laws of most states for, uh, in terms of how redistricting is supposed to work. You establish criteria that include partisan fairness and competitiveness mm-hmm. in how the district should be divvied up. Talk about that. What what does partisan fairness mean when considering uh, how to draw a district?
0: Yeah. So um, right now, there are very few criteria for how maps will be evaluated. And the end result has been House and Senate maps where there's very, very little competition come November. The Senate maps we have right now, they were adopted by the commission in 2012 uh, that, that drew the maps, and it passed unanimously because there was horse trading and there was deals between the two the, the partisan appointees uh, to make districts super safe for their preferred candidates or pre- for their preferred parties and then voters were left out in the cold. And so with amendment 1 we'll be adding a series of criteria to make the maps more fair and ensure that voters get a fair stake.
1: So by fairness you mean uh, you essentially mean unsafe districts. You that no no party should feel safe in any district.
0: So not every district will be 100% competitive. Um, that is uh, a misnomer that opponents have, have tried to talk about. So the first criteria is to protect the voting power of communities of color. That actually comes first in the priority order. The second criteria would be uh, a partisan fairness test.
1: It's interesting to me that that compactness of districts, which is sometimes seen as a as a positive mm-hmm. um, feature that that commissions drawing districts use, is is listed as valuable, but is secondary to this partisan fairness, this competitiveness. Um, So you could see some pretty oddly shaped districts come out of this process, right? That sort of carve up uh, areas that might be densely packed with one party, like uh, urban areas packed with Democrats, Mm -hmm. could be sort of carved up into long uh, districts, almost a, a pie with the city at the center that gets carved up and joined with Republicans in outer areas to form these competitive districts.
0: So you're, you're right that there are multiple criteria and they're put in order um, of priority error. So first piece is we enshrine the, the Voting Rights Act. We protect the political power of voters of color. The second criteria is partisan fairness using an objective mathematical formula that's been endorsed by everyone from Senator John Danforth to John McCain to Bob Dole. Based um, on how
1: votes have been cast in previous elections.
0: Right. Yeah. So what we'll do is we'll look at uh, or, or what future map drawers will do is they'll look at the last three – statewide elections for president, governor, and Senate. So in 2021, when map drawers do this, they'll look and see, okay, how did voters cast their ballots for Trump and Clinton in 2016? There'll be another presidential race with candidates. <laughs> it's a long time till 2020. right? Uh, so, you know, candidates there. And then also look at the 2020 um, presidential election. They'll be looking at the Senate races for, you know, what's happening right now for the Candid Blunt race. Um, and then also for the the 2012 Senate race as well. And then same thing for the gubernatorial races. So the partisan fairness calculation looks and says, okay, how voters cast their ballots across the state are voters being distributed in a way that's fair so that one party doesn't have an unfair advantage. Because how gerrymanders happen around the country, a bunch of voters for one party get packed into a fewer amount of districts, more than they might need to 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 win. And so what we're saying is just looking across the state is there an unfair advantage for one party? It doesn't mean that every district is going to be fifty-fifty. There's going to be a whole lot more competitive districts because we require competition to, or competitiveness to be a, a criteria. But it, it just the way that people have self-sorted and the way the math works. Like there's not going to every district is not going to be fifty-fifty.
1: So am I right to summarize that that the goal is that if if let's say Missouri is sixty percent Republican and forty percent Democratic, the legislature should be more or less. 60 percent Republican and 40 percent Democratic instead of 70 to 75 percent Republican as it is now.
0: Yeah, the the, the legislature should match what, what voters are saying they want. The the third criteria after the protecting voters of color, um, the, the partisan fairness piece with competition is to say, if there are shifts in the electorate, there ought to be shifts in the political power of the state legislature. Right now, what happens in the state legislature doesn't follow statewide re- results at all. So Donald Trump won big time in 2016. There was no change in the political power of the state Senate in Missouri, and Democrats picked up a House seat. Like, that doesn't make any sense. We saw the opposite of that happen in 2012, where Democrats won a bunch statewide, and then Republicans picked up seats um, in the state legislature.
1: All of this, when a map is finally drawn, Uh gets presented to a commission, which, which is how it is now. There already is a commission. Right. This commission's equally divided between Republicans and Democrats. Yep. They can change the map. Yep. With a seventy percent vote, mm-hmm. um, what happens if they can't agree to the map? Uh, if they do, they have to approve it. So, if the commission can't come to
0: consensus and, and make a change, or they like the map that's presented, the map that the demographer presented will become the map that, that takes effect.
1: No further action necessary.
0: No further action necessary, though. So in, the,
1: the, in the old days, this would in that situation, the the map would be sent to a panel of judges.
0: Correct. So, under the current system.
1: Um, It's still the
0: the, old days, current system. uh, It's still the same 70% threshold. And then when there's not consensus, it gets sent to a panel of judges, and then they draw maps in secret. And so that's actually a place where we've seen a ton of bipartisan criticism in the past is no one has any idea what they're looking at or what they're not looking at to make choices. And so one of the things that Amendment 1 also requires is that all of the data the demographer uses become – it's turned over to the Secretary of State so that – the commissions can see all of what was used or wasn't used in the creation of those uh, those proposed plans, and litigants can – whether that's the NAACP or the Missouri Republican Party or anyone else can say, hey, the data was flawed or I can do math too and – um, I'm looking at the result and, and we're not getting a fair shake.
1: You know, a lot of the uh, criticisms of this proposal have, have centered on the fact that this is a solution in search of a problem. That, uh, look, we have an existing system that is bipartisan. It uses evenly divided commissions. It uses nonpartisan judges as a last resort. You know, it turned out that Republicans won a lot of districts because Republicans are popular in Missouri. What do you, how do you say that, that there really is a problem that this is trying to solve?
0: It's seeking to solve a few problems. I think the biggest when it comes to how our districts are drawn is that there's so very little competition come November so that if you're a state legislator or a state senator, more than 90% of them have zero reason to worry about what voters are going to do based on how they vote and how they act in Jefferson City. And so if you're an organizer, if you're a frustrated citizen, if you are trying to get your neighbors together, the way the system is set right now if a politician keeps a few big donors happy, keeps a few special interest groups happy and doesn't tick off the right lobbyists, they've got an eight year ticket until their term limits run out. And so whether you're a Republican who lives in the super safe district where I'm in right now in South Kansas City, like you have no chance of holding your Democratic state representative accountable one way or the other. I think there should be a whole lot more nervous politicians.
1: Even so, uh, it's hard for it not to feel like a a partisan solution to the problem that you're that you're naming, uh, given that Republicans have super majorities uh, in the House and the Senate, there were times when Democrats had had those had majorities, perhaps not uh, to the extent that Republicans do now. There's also no denying that Democrats are supporting this proposal. Um, you yourself work for a progressive public mm-hmm. affairs firm, GPS Impact. I mean, mm-hmm. it's hard to not see this as a as a partisan solution in the name of nonpartisanship.
0: So I would say, if this was A partisan solution. We would not have earned the endorsement of former United States Senator Jack Danforth, very strong Republican. We've earned the support of Republican, former State Senator, now Councilman in Lee Summit, Bob Johnson. Rob Schaff from St. Joe, who I've been on the other side of many, many times in other policy fights. I remember talking to him week after week after week last year as he would go to and from the Capitol, and we would go line by line in the petition, going, okay, The, the, the subtext to every question was, what's the catch? And so it was like line after line of what's the catch? What's the catch? And the catch is there is no catch. It's fair. It's open, transparent. Beyond those politicians, we've earned the support of the Legal Women Voters, which is uh, a very nonpartisan organization, uh, AARP, Missouri Faith Voices, the NAACP. It is, no question, a huge uh, coalition of strange bedfellows. But um, we are really, really excited about that group that's all come together uh, because of the really strong policy um, and because of how it puts voters first
1: there are some strange bedfellows among the opponents as well. Uh, you mentioned the NAACP support, but that hasn't been uh, the, it hasn't been the case that all the uh, people of color who serve in the legislature support this. There have been some Democratic legislators in St. Louis who have worried about the ability of people of color to have representation under this plan. Senator Maria Chappelle-Nadal is one who has raised that question. Even though uh, some other legislators, including Bruce Franks, uh, including the NAACP, have endorsed the plan, what do you say to uh, people of color who've raised those questions?
0: So we have worked from the beginning to make sure that we had very strong language. We worked in coalition with, um, as you mentioned, the NAACP, Missouri Jobs with Justice, the Organization for Black Struggle has been a part of the coalition um, from very early on. Um, And as the language was being drafted, we went and talked to experts like the Brennan Center for Justice and said, "Okay, what is the best language from around the country that protects the voting power of communities of color? And because of that early work, because of that early coalition building, we have been able to earn the endorsement of uh, civil rights organizations, organizations that do have, that do their work with a racial justice lens because of the really strong language. And you don't have to go and prove that there was some sort of malintent. You can do the math and it's the result or intent. We have made sure that those protections for voters of color come first before everything else with shall not language.
1: Well, ballot measures will take up the bottom part of the ballot, at the top of the ticket, of course, is the U.S. Senate race between Republican Attorney General Josh Hawley and Democratic incumbent Claire McCaskill. And that long, bitter race is finally in the home stretch.
3: It kind of feels like all the cards are on the table here and, mm-hmm. and we're just waiting for for November.
1: Allison Kite is a reporter for the Kansas City Star who's covering this race. Everyone knew from the beginning this would be a super close race with a lot of national attention and it hasn't disappointed. McCaskill may be the incumbent, but President Trump won Missouri by 19 points two years ago, which means McCaskill's surely going to have to sway some of those voters to her side in order to win. I asked Allison how the senator's doing that.
3: You know, I think um, to do that, she's focusing on things like health care, Josh Hawley's uh, lawsuit that would strip away a lot of the protections of or all of the protections of the Affordable Care Act, including the popular ones like the mandate to cover pre-existing conditions. She's been highlighting areas where she's agreed with Trump. She ran an ad about her endorsement by the Border Patrol Council, the union that represents Border Patrol um, officers. And so I uh, you know, it's it's hard to say how well that's going for her. I mean, every poll has their race at a toss-up, but I think it's very clear that she is trying to run as that middle ground candidate to capture some of those votes. And it's somewhere where she can hit Holly because it's hard, I mean, it's hard for him to get away from this lawsuit, right? He's part of this, this lawsuit with 20 other Uh, GOP states.
1: The lawsuit, of course, uh, tries to strike down the Affordable Care Act, essentially. Um, And among it, the things that would do is end the protection, uh, the guarantee of care for people with pre-existing conditions, even though Josh Hawley says that that's not the case.
3: Right. So he says he supports... requiring that insurance companies cover pre-existing conditions. But he says he wants to do that as a separate standalone policy. His kind of counterpoint is that the Affordable Care Act traps those who have pre-existing conditions to this law that has increased health care costs.
1: You also mentioned uh, the the relationship with Donald Trump and his policies being continuing to come up in this race. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, The president has come to Missouri. He's campaigned for and with Josh Hawley. Uh, How big a factor do you think, uh, from your observation of this race, uh, the president is going to end up being?
3: I don't know how direct a role he's playing. Josh Hawley has tied himself very closely to Donald Trump. You know, for voters who really don't like Trump, that might push them toward McCaskill. But if they really don't like Trump, I think they're probably already with McCaskill on a lot of things. I think... People who are going to play an outsized influence in this race are potentially Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer and House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi. Josh Hawley is trying to tie Claire McCaskill to those people pretty directly. And um, I think there is a lot of general resentment toward those two individuals among Republican voters.
1: How fair is that connection? I mean, Claire McCaskill has often, when she's traveled around the state over the last couple of years, talked about being the, the number 50, the 50th percentile senator uh, from liberal to conservative. She's right in the middle, according to some ranking. But uh, that's not how Republicans have been portraying her these last few months.
3: Right. So the Holly campaign has been, you know, trying to portray her as a liberal Democrat. You know, at the Star, we've written about kind of her record and I mean, she's very clearly a, a Democrat, but there have been times that she's split with her party.
1: and She has supported more of the president's judicial nominees than many of her colleagues, for example. Correct. How much trouble is she having with her own base? Are, are there Democrats who do not seem as enthusiastic about uh, Senator McCaskill as, as she would like?
3: I think she's had a couple of um, moments where she's had some trouble when Um, Justice Brett Kavanaugh's nomination was being debated. There were some progressive groups that wanted her to come out against him immediately. um, And she took a long time. Um, She reviewed those um, Senate committee confidential documents and ultimately came to the conclusion that it was his position on dark money that um, lost him her vote.
1: Not not his uh, the allegations against him.
3: Correct. She was very clear on that. But, um, you know, there were some progressive groups uh, like NARAL, um, Pro-Choice Missouri that wanted her to come out against him immediately over things like abortion. And then she had also had some potentially some trouble with African American voters where you know some members of the Missouri Senate had said that she doesn't do enough for African Americans in Missouri and she had asked leaders to sign on to this letter supporting her and and got some backlash for that.
1: Over the weekend the New York Times uh, ran a report about Josh Hawley's administration of the Attorney General's office and Uh, A lot of people familiar with the work of that office were very critical in that report, said there's a lot of disarray there. What have you learned about that?
3: Yeah, so I actually have the uh, story in front of me here today. Um, So there were a few charges in that report. Um, He shut down one division. There's been a lot of turnover. Um, There was one figure that said that, that settlements have drastically increased because he doesn't have enough experienced lawyers to to protect the state. And so the state has had to pay out a lot more in settlements.
1: Some criticisms, too, of how he handled the investigation of the governor's office. Correct.
3: Yes. Um, there was a, a, a charge in the story that he had been willing to work with the governor's office on limiting the interviews to 15 minutes um, of the governor's staff on the investigation into the staff's use of Confide. The
1: the secretive uh, text messaging app. Correct. Meanwhile, in the uh, sort of October Surprise Department, uh, we had these videos that came out of uh, some internal staff conversations uh, in Claire McCaskill's campaign.
3: So um, Project Veritas, which is this controversial conservative group that makes these um, undercover videos release this video about that's the same her group campaign. that made
1: the uh, the the abortion um,
3: mm-hmm.
1: uh, videos, the video that that alleged that Planned Parenthood was selling baby parts uh, essentially, selling the parts of aborted fetuses.
3: Correct. So this individual of Project Veritas posed as a volunteer for her campaign um, and secretly recorded. Her and a bunch of her staffers, um, the video was put together to kind of make it look like um, she's not being upfront with Missourians about her views on abortion and some gun control issues presented this as information Claire McCaskill doesn't want Missourians to see. The McCaskill campaign was pretty uh, upset when this came out. I will say the, the two main issues that they talk about in the video, abortion and gun control, I think... Um, As a Democrat in a red state, those aren't issues that Claire McCaskill is going to want to be front and center in her platform. Those are third rail issues for a lot of people. Uh, Her campaign has filed a complaint with Attorney General Hawley's office, um, which (laughs) –
1: Which which doesn't seem likely to to have a lot of traction, at least in the immediate future.
3: Right. Potentially not. So the complaint basically is there's a Missouri law that – you know, bars fraud in um, nonprofit fundraising. And she's basically alleged that this person who recorded these videos uh, violated that law. And that's a law that the attorney general's office would be in charge of prosecution under that law.
1: So let me ask this. We've got just uh, a week and a half or so until the election. And the latest polling, all of the polling, really, for a long time, has it basically in a tie.
3: Right, yeah, and there was one poll I, I thought this was really interesting. There was a Reuters poll, sorry, it was an Ipsos Reuters UVA poll that had Holly at 45 and McCaskill at 44, which is a tie. And what I found really interesting at that poll is that they went then went back and asked undecided voters or voters that didn't answer the question where they were leaning and they got the exact same answer Holly 45, McCaskill 44. Wow So that didn't tell us really any additional information,
1: right. We'll get all the information we need from the only poll that matters, the one happening November 6th. Thanks to Allison Kite of the Kansas City Star. Be sure to visit KCUR.org for full coverage of the 2018 elections, including a complete voter's guide to the ballot measures we talked about today and everything else on Missouri ballots and Kansas, too, for that matter. Also, we hope you'll join us live on election night. I'm hosting KCUR's coverage with results and analysis from around the region and NPR News, we get started at 7 p.m. on November 6th at KCUR.org or on air at KCUR 89.3. The podcast will be back after the election with a roundup and a first look at what the results mean for the next season of Missouri politics and for what we'll be watching on Statehouse Blend, Missouri. Our producer's Matt Hodapp. I'm Brian Ellison. Thanks for listening.